What is up, everybody? This is Ryan here from the Scale Up Show. I have a very special guest on today. I have Nathan Clark, who is the founder and CEO of Ganymede Technologies. Uh, really, really cool company. I mean, some things that, that Nathan's done are truly, truly unique is he was a former bond trader. He then shifted over from the finance side to be do some amazing things in product and buy now and pay later. And then on top of it, started his own company and basically created the next Amazon Web Services for the biotech industry. You're not going to want to miss this. He gets super deep on some advanced concepts, but you're not going to want to miss it. Check it out. How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to the Scale Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and I have a very special guest with me today. I have Nathan Clark. Nathan is the co-founder of Ganymede and is professional, or I should say passionate about biotech. Uh, He's done some really interesting things. He was a former bond trader, was in the area of finance, then moved over to product at Buy Now and Pay Later, and is now creating the AWS for Sciences, which is really unique and interesting. And what he's going to do is we're going to talk through... Uh, basically revolutionary tools and AI drug discovery and how SaaS and, and past solutions are disrupting data bottlenecks in biotech. Nathan, welcome, man. Happy to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, so, um, but before we get real big into kind of how you got to this point or your, your backstory, I would love to just have kind of some real quick context in terms of where you're at in terms of the stage of the journey. So where are you guys at in terms of your ARR? Yeah, so we started earlier this year, but have taken off pretty quickly. So we're at around a million dollars in ARR now um, and uh, growing quickly. Congrats for, I mean, and we're recording this in, what, December? So to hit a million in less than a 12-month cycle, that's that's fantastic. Uh, what's your primary revenue growth go-to-market strategy? Yeah, our focus right now is fairly enterprisey. Um, what we do, so because our product offering is a fairly broad data and infrastructure platform, um, we'll oftentimes sell the core of that platform to companies, but then also bundle it with uh, services to build integrations and build uh, schematization and data cleaning for companies on top of that. Um, and so we try to uh, take a pretty pretty high-level approach, come in at a fairly high level on uh, the org chart um, and tell people, hey, you know, not only will this save you time, save your scientist time, or if you're in manufacturing, save your technician's time, but you as an executive uh, will be able to get so much more visibility over your operations and data. Um, and so, yeah, I think pretty classic enterprise sales in that sense. Um, okay. Almost somewhat like Palantir, I would say. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Palantir, crazy results that they've had. So who who are your... I guess like when you when you go to the C-level or the executives, like what departments are you targeting? Uh, a lot of IT, uh, a lot of, and it varies, I guess I should say, by uh, stage of the company. Um, in biotech and pharma, you end up, you have a lot of these early stage companies that are working on R&D, figuring out what kind of drug they want to produce. Um, and in that case, oftentimes we'll be working with a scientist or uh, in the industry, they're called process development engineers, uh, people who really focus on building out the process itself. Um, and we can provide technical backing to them. And so you'll end up working with like a director or chief scientific officer. Sometimes they might have software engineers. And so we'll also work with software engineers. 
And then as the companies scale up and as you start talking about like pharma uh, uh, or big uh, contract manufacturers and things like that, that's where it becomes much more IT. Um, sometimes there's sort of a digital architecture group or digital transformation people, um, but ultimately the stakeholders are are IT um, and they're the ones vested with that vision. Excellent, man. Yeah, I mean, that, that I would assume that's, that's pretty typical of you're hitting the, the IT side of the house and then the business unit to back it. And then as you expand, you migrate in other departments. So uh, so walk us through your solution exactly, just kind of how it works. So I, I uh, gave the uh, not so crisp version of it in my intro. So I'd love, love to hear your version of it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I would say uh, it probably helps to contextualize this a bit in our thesis too, you know, looking out at uh, biotech and pharma and other areas that we touch as well, like manufacturing, the thing that stands out to me and my co-founder Benson, we both have a background in machine learning. Um, the problem in this space honestly seems less about the scale of the data. It's There is some high scale data, but it's really about the messiness and the complexity that comes from uh, the fact that you have physical operations. And then especially in the sciences, the fact that biology is involved, which is a, an evolutionary mess in the fact that you're doing R&D. So you're intentionally trying something new. You know, the fact that your process is unique is the point. Uh, and so we set up Ganymede to try and be very, very intentionally respectful of that complexity. And I think in many cases, people have tried to solve this through things like no code. People have tried to solve this by building apps, but that just doesn't work. You can't anticipate what people are going to need. It really needs to be code. And so that's where our platform is. Uh, so we say it's a data platform and an integration platform. But what that means is we've tried to build the core infrastructure out of the box uh, that these companies need, a data lake, a place to run analyses, a place to connect instruments and build uh, instrument integrations on top of that to actually make the, the piping work and make the, you know, drive the instruments and uh, ingest files from all your different data sources, um, write data back automatically to your tools. Um, uh, in the industry terminology, things like ELNs, electronic lab notebooks, or limb systems, lab information management systems. Um, scientists spend so much time on data entry now in those. Um, in the past, they would do it on paper, uh, which was even worse. But still, you know, now you have an app and you do data entry. And what we really tell people is, okay, well, yes, you need hosted infrastructure, but what's the point of the right infrastructure for science? The point is that your scientists can move faster because they can get the data automatically off the lab instrument. They don't have to go USB stick the, a file off the computer like it's 2000, um, they can automatically have their analysis run and then automatically have it put into the app, like the ELN or the limb system that they need to put it into. Or at the manufacturing scale, like into the manufacturing uh, tracking systems called uh, like MES systems or electronic batch records. Um, lots of acronyms in this in this space for sure. But the point is getting data from A to B automatically and being able to do the transformation in between automatically, uh, that's key. And that requires code. So that's what our platform allows is people to have a place to write that code. And we also do have a lot of that, uh, a lot of the connectors, a lot of logic and analyses out of the box. You know, we've seen hundreds of instruments at this point. So chances are that we already have your, uh, the connector built out for your lab instrument. Um, but if you don't, if we don't, or inevitably, you know, you need to customize the connector because lab instruments are so complex it makes it super easy for you yourself to just self-service go in and tweak it, which is transformative for these small companies uh, and for even big companies too, where they don't want to have to call up a service provider or their Accenture consultants to uh, change something. You know, they want to just have their engineers and IT maintain it. So that's what we we power. 
Yeah, I, I think, I mean, that's, that's fantastic. And I can imagine all the, the complexity with lab instruments integrating it into a data platform. Um, it's a mess. There's de- yeah, I mean, I can imagine someone trying to do that themselves and yeah, it's got to be a nightmare. So I, I think it's a really cool solution. What, what did you build the data platform in? Like what, what development language and, and how did that kind of come about? Yeah, so we built it entirely on top of GCP. Um, you know, for myself and my co-founder, given our ML background, I think we look a lot to companies like Databricks, who I think are doing a similar thing in a way. We, we sometimes call ourselves a reverse Databricks, where they have effectively built the right computing platform for machine learning and machine learning ops, um, where it's not like they invented anything particularly new per se. It's more like they stitched together the right technologies. You know, their backbone is the uh, Jupyter Notebooks strung together using Spark for high-scale computation. Um, our backbone is based on Airflow, and we do allow the code to be modified in notebooks, but we're running it uh, in Airflow directly. We've changed and tweaked and tuned Airflow to be able to redeploy faster so you can really quickly iterate on your analyses. Um, so long story short is that we've built it pretty directly on top of GCP, um, and uh, we use BigQuery as our data lake. Uh, we use uh, GCP Composer as our main runtime. That's GCP's managed airflow. Uh, and then we also have a whole host of different GCP tools and features. You know, we have uh, uh, cloud functions and things like that for allowing people to run different things different ways. Um, and then we have our web app. Um, not to spend too much time on the front end, but I think tools like Vercel and Nest are amazing uh, these days. It makes it so easy to develop really quickly on the front end. Um, so we also have our, our web app where you can actually go in and it's not just a backend tool. You can actually just open up, you know, my company name.ganymede.bio and start writing some code, uh, or just, you know, bring it over to your lab instrument and hook up the lab instrument and see the data appear in Ganymede. It's really nice. That's awesome. Uh, and so just to, just to kind of stay on track. So, so we walked this through, walked through your solution. Uh, how large is your team right now? We are about 15 people today. Um, hopefully, uh, 20 people next few months. That's our current, uh, hiring plan. Awesome. And, and then are you bootstrapped or funded? We are funded. Yeah. Um, we, uh, we closed our series a, uh, over the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, our lead was caffeinated capital and we raised uh, $12 million at a $60 million post valuation. Awesome. Great work. So, especially in this type of economy. Um, so so how did you get here, right? Like you, you were in bond trading, you were in product, you were, um, and, and then you kind of shifted in, in the machine learning world. So real diverse background, which I think is absolutely amazing and, and probably critical to your success and in, in the rapid involvement of what you're doing at Ganymede right now. But like what's your, just walk us through your background, how you got to this point. And then, you know, what were some of the challenges along the way of kind of getting to this point and getting your company off the ground? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think for me personally, I've, you know, I love finance uh, academically and, and practically. It's a, it's a fun space to be in. Um, and so I miss it sometimes. But uh, throughout my career, I think I've been drawn to uh, pure technology and then also biotech specifically. Um, and uh, uh, so, you know, that took me from Goldman to Affirm. Uh, Affirm was founded by Max Levchin. Um, the PayPal co-founder. And so I knew, you know, you can't go wrong on the tech side there. Like if I want to be in a place that's very Fang, Google-like in terms of its engineering quality, like 
that's probably the fintech that I'll have. And indeed, I think it's an amazing engineering team there. It's an amazing company. Um, Max became our first investor in our, our seed round. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so uh, uh, we have a lot of fintech blood in our veins to this day. Um, but uh, we, uh, so when I was at a firm, you know, I, I went there, I, I wanted to get deeper into the technology. Um, I loved it. I wanted to go further and further and get really deep into the systems, really understand uh, what people were doing. I love spending time with the engineers and scoping out features and trying to understand the entire technology feels like a way to understand the true nature of the business at a really deep, like physical level. Um, you know, being able to go into the, the, so at a firm, we had a, a core database uh, that was like a replicated out data warehouse thing. Um, and being able to just go and query it with a SQL query, which is something you definitely can't quite do the same way at a bank. I guess you kind of can, uh, depending on your permissions, but it feels like you're touching the true core of the business. It, you know, I love that feeling of you code something and then it's there, it's real, it's in the world and it's tangible. Um, so I started spending more time programming. Um, I also have always loved biotech on the side as kind of an area that I feel like, you know, fintech I think is a cool place. And I, I actually do. I think a lot of people say, oh, I want to go into bio to make an impact because I don't feel like finance contributes to people's lives. Um, I'm a little more capitalist than that. I think finance has real value when it's done ethically. Um, but I do think in bio, there's this big uh, issue where you see, on the one hand, drug prices are exorbitant. And the amount of money that pharmas and uh, uh, biotech spend on developing drugs is exorbitant. But scientists are paid pretty poorly compared to, uh, compared to biologists or compared, sorry, compared to software engineers. Um, you know, people will go uh, spend almost a decade uh, between undergrad and their PhD program to come out and earn barely over six figures. Uh, whereas uh, on the flip side, you know, software engineers straight out of undergrad can earn uh, well into the six figures. Mm -hmm. uh, there's some dissonance there. I think that fascinates me. Uh, and, you know, if you let me, I'll go way into my philosophy of why that is. Uh, but I think also biology just fascinates me as a technology, like seeing what could you do? You know, could you engineer cells to grow a house? What would that take? Why can't we do that? Diagnosing that I feel like is really the critical path that unlocking much bigger step change improvements that aren't reflected currently in the economics of biotech. Um, there is like a latent technology underlying, you know, everyone's done small molecule drug discovery forever, but what is the actual applicability of biology almost at like this, the sci-fi nanotechnology level? Um, that's always fascinated me. So that's why I went to Benchling. Um, you know, when I was at a firm, the buy now pay later company, it, uh, it IPO'd uh, and uh, I was very lucky with that. And I think that gave me the platform to say, hey, I want to really go work in the space to understand and explore um, the bio and understand the industry. I had done some volunteering on the side um, and I had done uh, a lot of academic learning, but there's no substitute for working in the space. Um, so that's why I went to Benchling. Um, at Benchling, I product managed some of their some of their data products, the Insights BI tool, machine learning team, um, but really wanted to just learn and uh, absorb as much information as I could and figure out where I could make an impact. And um, I think that led pretty quickly to me realizing, hey, I should merge what I really love on sort of the really hardcore data engineering cloud infrastructure side. And what I'm seeing in terms of benchling where the challenge seems to be less about the science almost in a way, and it's more about just managing that complexity of the data and its meaning. You know, how do you capture someone's experimental process 
less the scientific analysis, more like the experimental process itself. And uh, that I think is what led me to really try to say, hey, you know, you need to respect the complexity. You need to have a platform that handles it. That's awesome, man. I mean, that obviously a real interesting journey and an aspect. I think it's cool though, that you're, you're connecting both, right? What you're fascinated with and then what you're passionate about and then creating that and bringing that out to the world. You know, I always thought that the nanotech stuff is super interesting as well. Um, way out kicking my coverage in terms of my depth of understanding there right now, but I can imagine there's some amazing things coming down the pipe with that. Uh, anything uh, insanely fascinating that, that you're seeing in that space right now? Well, I guess I do have some things I think that are fascinating, but honestly, I wish there was more. I feel like I want to see more of this stuff come to fruition. I remember when I was in like uh, high school reading about carbon nanotubes and things like that. Um, it was all over the science news a decade or more ago. Uh, and, you know, you never hear about those anymore or they've kind of trailed off. You know, there's all these promises of nanotechnology that's going to take over the world and it never does. Um, and so that's what I'm kind of searching for is, okay, well, what's the actual gap? How do you accelerate that? Um, I do think that there's a ton of cool stuff happening though. I'll say, um, you know, part of it is on the, the actual like biotech drug design side. Um, you know, people are making huge advances right now in terms of understanding uh, how organs work, how biological systems work at a higher level and being able to, I think there's a lot of promise, although lab grown meat, I think is having a little bit of a, a setback at the moment. I do think longer term, uh, that area has huge potential. Um, people treating biology and systems as an engineering project. Um, you know, it's lab grown meat today, but it's lab grown organs for transplant tomorrow. Um, and, uh, you know, some of our clients are working in that space and I'm very honored to help them, uh, at Ganymede on that. Um, also the advances in things like antibody, uh, uh, design and antibody based therapeutics, uh, that continues to be an amazing space. Things like hybridoma technology, where people, uh, fuse cells together with immortal cancer cells to continuously produce the right antibodies for treatment. Um, in general, uh, what we call like the biologic space, uh, large molecule, like biological molecules has really taken off and shows a ton of potential, um, on the drug side. And I would love to see it go further into the actual, okay, here's like an engineering, you know, biological system or the, eventually the, Hey, you know, can this, uh, lab grown meat turn into a lab grown house? Uh, something like that. That would be the dream though. That'd be wild. Hello, this is Ryan here. Real quick, if you are enjoying this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment or review. If you want more help or just want to learn more about what the top SaaS CEOs and founders are doing, check out my website at www.ryanstaley.io. Join my newsletter, check out other free content resources I have there, and let me know if you want to scale your business. Now back to the episode. All right, let's, let's shift gears a little bit. Um, so how did you grow the company from, and when, when did you start? You said you started this year. We're recording almost right around the beginning of December, end of November. What's, you know, what, what month did you guys start? Uh, in February, really. Yeah. Okay. So in 10 months, you went from zero to 1 million plus, correct? Mm. Okay. How did you do that? 
walk us through like the lead time development up to that um, of the products, like when you launched and then how you, how you got that many enterprise customers fast, because that's, that's a 10 month cycle from then to now. So I imagine there was some kind of waiting list or uh, customer led growth that, that you leverage. We'd love to hear that story. Cause that's, that's mm-hmm. amazing, man, to, to do that and to grow that fast. Yeah, I think, well, and I'll say we've gotten very lucky. Um, it's with something like this, it's always a blend of the right tactics, but also a healthy, healthy heaping of, of luck on this. Um, but I do think we, we kind of backed accidentally into the perfect approach for this, where what we did, we didn't, you know, we had our, our jobs, we weren't actively pursuing Ganymede stuff until we launched in February. Um, what really happened was we hit the networking really, really hard, uh, all at once at the beginning of the year. Um, so we were able to find the contacts into these enterprise companies pretty quickly. Um, and, you know, through my network and through the VCs that we work with, um, if you have funding, leveraging VCs networks, uh, it's so critical at the early days. Um, you know, I will, I'm pretty transparent with our VCs that like, hey, if you invest in us, um, you know, I in the past, now our sales team, they're going to go through your LinkedIn and find every single person that could be a client and make you contact them. Like, that's what you pay for investing in us. Um, and so that's, you know, very helpful uh, in terms of finding clients, just tons of warm intros, tons of uh, back-to-back-to-back networking. Um, we had, I think, a pretty clear vision because we had intentionally gone into this space where we were saying, okay, I want to understand what I can fix in the industry and really look at it, not from a less a scientist perspective, because I think a lot of people in these spaces will go interview scientists and say, hey, how can I help you as a scientist? But they don't have the same vision as a more enterprise level IT person where the money is. Uh, and so through things like Benchling and my experience on the data side outside of that, I, I really understood their needs um, and understood, I think, better what corporations need. And I think that's critical. I would advise anyone, if you want to go make a vertical SaaS startup or any sort of enterprise startup, work somewhere that already is successful in that space first. So you can understand the shape of the industry, how and why people buy things, what those sales cycles look like. Um, and then the final piece, I think that got off, us off the ground quickly was because for my founder, my co-founder and myself, um, this is our moonshot. We were planning to originally potentially bootstrap it for quite some time um, and uh, self-fund it. Um, we hired up a big team immediately. You know, By like April, we had uh, four or five butts and seats uh, cranking. Really strong engineers. Um, credit, especially to our head of engineering, um, Andy, uh, who I think has helped organize this stuff and uh, uh, kind of uh, manage the engineering team. So Benson and I don't really have to. Um, but we got, you know, great engineers, really strong backgrounds from Alphabet and Meta. Um, and what they did pretty quickly was say, okay, you know, this is going to be an enterprise solution, uh, for integrating data for, uh, these big companies. You can kind of duct tape that together pretty quickly out of existing cloud infrastructure. You know, our product long-term will be, uh, cloud infrastructure that's much more productized, much more available out of the box. You know, you'll be able to go onto our website soon and just click a button and start using Ganymede yourself. Um, but you can also almost consultatively make that out of existing pieces. Um, and so we were able to do that pretty quickly to demonstrate pilots to prove, uh, hey, you know, this is something that can work. Conceptually, it'll work. You know, we can get the mechanics of it flowing and then work through the security, work through a lot of really deep focus on hardening um, and compliance, um, and then roll out. And so uh, uh, for our ARR, some of that as well is, 
is uh, uh, commitments that start more in 2023, although they're committed. Um, but uh, I think what we realize is, yeah, like you're able to build so much so quickly given how good cloud infrastructure is these days. So start from the most back end of the back end. Like don't even make an API, just make services that work that can be plugged in uh, to your client and then make the API and then make the web app. Like do not touch Figma until you're like a year down the road because it's such a distraction. You can build so quickly if you're purely focusing on solving a problem almost consultatively for a client as long as you make sure that it fits in your product vision. Um, and I think that's what we backed into uh, somewhat accidentally, now deliberately, as how we operate and has been very successful and allows us to go and tell people, hey, you know, we have a product, yes, um, we'll build this all for you. But even if you're worried about us as an early startup, hey, look, we've got an amazing engineering team. Uh, we'll just figure it out consultatively if we have to. Um, that's a good backdrop uh, for people to not worry about. Okay, I love that. So. Let me make sure because you dropped a lot there. So basically what you're saying is you kind of took existing solutions, like you said, duct tape, right? Duct tape together, them together, or I'm sure it's a lot more sophisticated than that, but integrated them together so they played nicely, right? And then as a backdrop, you know, you, you didn't build anything else or get ahead of yourself, proved out the concept that like, hey, this from a principle level works um, for you with the way it's designed. And then... Um, you know, if it doesn't, right, since it's not all because you're, you're lacing together products that aren't exactly yours, correct? You're, mm-hmm. If it doesn't, then, you know, we we got the, the tech power behind us to make sure that it does. Right. So that's kind of like your guarantee. So you'll find a way to make it work. Um, am I missing anything with that? Or and then next generation yeah. is build out the APIs, build out like a full stack solution that has everything kind of encompassed. Is that is that right? That's exactly right. Yeah. And here's the thing I think that makes all this possible is it's not like we're integrating APIs into APIs where you have to go figure it out and check if the licensing is permitted. You know, we do do some of that, but most of what we integrate, I mean, we do integrate APIs for things like ELNs or limb systems or MES systems, but most of what we're integrating into them en masse is uh, files from lab instruments, which are okay. mostly in open formats. They're like CSVs or XML files. You have to go figure out what the semantics of them are, like what data is inside them and why and what is it mapped to. But that's what our platform is meant to be. Um, but at the end of the day, if you said, hey, how, what would it take for me to just from zero start doing this? Um, the, the basic thing that most companies do themselves is, okay, you spin up a small database, set up a bunch of lambdas, and string them together, and then you know, set up some like file sharing system that attaches to the PCs on these lab instruments and grabs the files. Um, and then, you know, the files are ingested, the Lambda does the logic, and you just figure out the logic. That that doesn't take that long to figure out how to map a data frame to a data frame or a CSV to uh, an API query. Um, and that's really the only t- cost that we pay now. Uh, and so uh, I think because of that, uh, like the bar for starting from an infrastructure perspective is pretty low. Um, what we bring to the table is the fact that uh, we've built the right system to really quickly develop these from like a developer experience perspective, I think, too, on top of that infrastructure. So we can crank through these. And then we also maintain them over time. The reason that most people haven't done them this, themselves, in addition to the fact that in biotech, there's very few software engineers, is because these integrations change over time. You know, your experimentation will evolve because you're learning and your your data changes shape. 
So you need to continuously update these. So if you don't have a good developer experience, which, you know, just coding in Lambdas is not a good developer experience, um, it's going to suck and it's going to be very difficult to actually maintain these integrations. So that's where, that's why we are able to offer a premium product here is to say, hey, like we have the perfect place to just write the code and it just works uh, to run the code uh, on top of this infrastructure. Okay. So what I'm trying to understand too is like, how do you, what's the tangible? Cause like what, what you said, large deal sizes, right? So mm-hmm. or enterprise, what, what does that mean in terms of like ACV that we're talking like a range or size wise? Excluding uh, one big outlier, probably uh, about 150 K I would say. Okay. So, so yeah, that's definitely enterprise. I, I kind of think usually it's over 80 or hundred K it's kind of when, when you start to do that. So when you're yeah. talking AR, right. Or are you talking TCV for that? ARR. Okay, so 150k ARR plus, right? Um, so, what's the tangible outcome then your solution provides to justify that that expense on, on the customer side? Yeah, for them, I'd say it it operates at two levels. One is, you know, we'll oftentimes go in with uh, scientists, well, with customers, and say, hey, let's just integrate up a few of your instruments. What's your the problem that they're having? Their problems are that. Their scientists are spending a ton of time doing data entry and doing these really manual, repetitive analyses that could totally be automated. They're not very complex, usually. Um, they are not capturing all their data as a result, too, because the scientists are spending so much time on the existing data entry. How could you possibly ask them to do any more data entry, you know, capture metadata? You know, you might record the results from the instrument, but are you recording which instrument did it? No. And then... All of a sudden, you're like, oh, well, I can't tell which instrument did this. I don't know if my instruments are in calibration. Something's going wrong. And then so that creates the third problem, which is that when people, something goes wrong in the experiment and you need to debug it uh, effectively, it's really hard because you can't figure out where any of the data is from. You don't know which lab instrument this data came from. Um, You can't compare it to any historical data because you're not saving it in a database where you can actually compare data systematically. Um, You know, good luck doing a SQL query across all these XML files. Um, and so what we tell them is, okay, Hey, you know, we are going to speed up your scientists literally probably by like 10%, uh, uh, in terms of their day-to-day work by making sure that they are absolutely minimizing data entry because they will, you know, these scientists will spend like half a day on Fridays just doing all their data entry for the week. Um, and, uh, so it really accelerates scientists. It lets them focus a lot more on their actual scientific work and uplevel themselves um, and ultimately, for clients, the value of that is that you get to clinical trials faster. You get to commercial uh, commercialization of your drug faster because your scientists are uh, that much more efficient. Or sometimes right now, the equivalent is, hey, you know, the market's bad, so we're going to save you on headcount, too. Um, you don't need to grow as many headcount to be able to support your uh, operations. Um, and this is across, like, dozens of scientists. So it, the value adds up quite quickly there. Um, but then I think once we have enough integrations with a given client, we see it transforming to another level where it's more like, hey, everything is integrated in Ganymede from A to B. Why don't we turn this more into a hub and spoke thing where it's like, actually, everything's integrated into Ganymede. And if you want to push data somewhere, you can. But Ganymede kind of becomes this data and integration backbone, like this data mesh across all of your organization. And then that's when we can go to the very senior level people and say, hey, wouldn't it be cool if you had a dashboard that actually showed all of your uh, like manufacturing processes from literally receiving raw materials on the loading dock to shipping out fully QC'd 
uh, drug product on the the flip side. Um, that's really hard to do. And I think that's where the value starts. That's where you start getting into the outlier territory because that's when you start really demonstrating the power of having data. So those are the two angles I would say is uh, scientist efficiency by a pretty big factor and uh, uh, driving analytics and insights for management. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, I mean, it's kind of, it reminds me of um, like in the healthcare space, doctors, right? All the notes that they have to take yeah. Same thing, you know, where I'm sure they hate doing it. <laughs> um, they despise doing it, but it's something, it's a necessary evil. It takes up a lot of time. It's, they have to do it on a Friday afternoon or during off hours, you know? So it's one of those things where I can see the end users really loving it as well, just because they don't have to deal with that. Right. And it's probably more accurate, cleaner, all that stuff. Right. Yeah. And our eyes are on the health, healthcare space too. Oh, sure. okay. Well, there you go. That's an easy use case. I got I got relatives that are doctors, so it's uh, yeah. I, I hear I hear the complaints all the time. So there's definitely some gold there in terms of note taking. Um, but yeah, I I guess so. We're getting close on time. I, I want to uh, follow up though because you've dropped a lot of really really detailed insights. So what would you say? Like you've grown really fast, right? You've gone from zero to mill in about ten months. And so what would you say is your single biggest challenge now that you're running into with, with growing the company? Yeah, I'd say, well, at a macro, we're certainly on the hook for a lot now because we've signed up for a lot with all this ARR. Um, I do think we're scaling pretty well into it. We've been able to hire a pretty good uh, solutions engineering team for post-sales. So I think, honestly, what I'm worried about uh, or what's kind of on my mind, and I think we're hopefully going to solve, the near term is just building out our sales process and sales team because, you know, it's a million this year, but it's going to be four million next year. That's our goal. Um, so that's going to require a whole new level where I won't be able to personally be involved in every deal closing anymore. Um, you know, that's a big step, I think, in terms of building a killer sales team who's really smart, but also trained well, has that machine backing them. Um, but it'll be hard. Um, and so I think that's the, that kind of gets into the strategic thing of both of the sales process, but especially for implementation, how much will we have to spend on services time long-term? Mm-hmm. I think we've realized we're starting to narrow in. It's not going to be zero. It's also not going to be hundred percent of our time. It'll be somewhere in the middle. Um, so the boundaries are sort of like in the worst case, it'll be like Palantir uh, where you do staff a like four to five person team for every client. But you know, the clients are like eight figure clients. Uh, so it's fine. Um, but it's still a drag for sure um, to in the better case, hopefully we can be more like a Databricks or Snowflake and say, okay, you know, this is still, it, it is pretty self-service and engineers adopt it themselves at the clients. Um, I think that's what's really weighing on my mind is I think that what we need to figure out. So although we're pretty enterprise focused at the moment, I think we're actually going to pivot towards being pretty self-service focused. Um, you know, we're building a lot of these integrations ourselves in many cases right now, but already our client base, you know, there's engineers and data scientists there that are clamoring to start using Ganymede themselves because that's that's our whole point. Uh, and that's what we really differentiate on is saying, hey, this can be self-service for you. Um, so we're going to work with them to get it to be self-service and then try to roll out a true like self-service, just go click a button on the Ganymede website and start playing with it product next year. Um, but that definitely, you know, that is the the million dollar question. If, if that's achievable, if that's scalable, if it's going to work without much uh, enterprise deal support, you know, in order to make Ganymede work, I think you really got to do some of the almost like ERP implementation style surgery on your business processes to figure out, to actually standardize them enough to, to mm-hmm. actually map data into them. So that's something that software engineers and data scientists are usually not trained in. Um, and I think that's where we'll have to figure out how much time we spend on that supporting people. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, really interesting too. And I've seen this with some clients that I work with, the, the combo of enterprise sales and a product like Growth Motion is, is amazing as long as you connect the two in the right way, right? So um, a lot of opportunity there, especially with your ACV size. Um, so that that's exciting, man. So, so Nathan, before we wrap things up, I guess my last kind of question for you is, you know, you've had a really unique, like I said, breadth of experience across a lot of different areas. Where do you see the future of tech going over the next three to five years? I think what is happening right now that we're going to continue growing into and that more people will realize is that uh, software is becoming more data oriented, is becoming more functional. Um, this is going to be like really nerdy in infrastructure. <laughs> uh, so bear with me. Uh, in the, the 90s and 2000s, all the rage was the whole like Java sea of objects thing. People kind of had discovered inter- uh, object oriented programming at the enterprise level. And it was how everything was done. Everything was going to become this universal, perfect, transcendent schema of Java classes and objects that anyone could use. Um, and that failed, ultimately. Um, similarly, visual programming systems like UML, Unified Markup Language, failed. Um, largely because it's impossible to really pin down this stuff. And th- it's a very like operational way of viewing the world to say, hey, the world is composed of things that do things. Yes, that's true. But that's not what you care about as a business user. You care about the data outcome. You care about your analysis and your decision and things like that. And that means that all you care about as like a business analyst, you don't care about all this Java, sea of objects, nonsense that those engineers uh, are working on. You care about the data. Um, people have realized that and started you know, moving much more towards data engineering. Like ETL became a whole thing five years ago. Now, there's a bajillion CDP kind of things out there. Um, Reverse ETL is a thing now. Uh, Databases and building large-scale operations on tabular databases where the the tabular, like the structure that you put into that database, that's the meaning. It's not the object. It's not the, the thing that you're computing on. It's the structure of the data when it's stored. That's your business meaning. Um, and people have started programming to that end too. That's what the whole world of ETL is becoming um, and data engineering. And I think you start seeing that more and more in these industries where things are very complex and hard to pin down. Things like analytics, ETL is huge in analytics, marketing, um, CRM stuff, but also I think complex areas like biotech. Um, So I see the world continuing to move towards uh, a union between the way that you build apps where you're building it in some like continuous uh, server runtime uh, that is just going to, you know, crank and is very transactional in the way that you build big, like batch data pipelines will converge. Um, people will start programming much more by defining what is their data backbone and what's like the schema of data flow through the steps of your business. What are your business objects? Like you should always start by creating what the classes are uh, that you want to populate data for. Um, and being able to program in that way, I think, is is pretty cool. So I expect to see, hopefully, again, we can help here. Um, but I expect to see a lot more tools for uh, building automation on top of databases directly and pipelines that run much faster. Uh, data pipelining systems that are less about, hey, I need to do this big batch compute for analytics. And more like, hey, I need to do this more rapid, fast, transactional kind of compute for my actual core platform. Because I'm just going to build, you know, so many people are building things out of this strong together lambdas. You can improve that by just adding some more structure and schema. Um, that I think is that convergence. So uh, yeah, uh, the, maybe to summarize that, I think it's a lot of uh, 
uh, data engineering tools becoming much faster and converging with uh, more conventional app style engineering, and then making the actual code and the actual schema of the data more transparent and accessible to the business users. Uh, I think that, you know, it's not no code, it's not uh, visual programming that's going to solve this. It's making the data structure visible to end users and letting them have a say on that. Um, that will, is what I think is really required to get business end users involved. Yeah, I can see that. I can totally see that. That makes a lot of sense. So um, so thanks for sharing that, man. And, and Nathan, it was awesome having you on the show. Where can people find you? Where can they find out more about you? And then we'll wrap things up. Yeah, we're at Ganymede.bio. Uh, feel free to stop by. Um, I'm also Nathan at Ganymede.bio. Feel free to shoot me an email anytime. Connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm always happy to chat. Um, I, I love to rabble hole into stuff. So happy to chat about bio or tech or anything. Um, but yeah. Awesome. Well, it was a pleasure having you on the show. We'll see you all in the next episode. Thank you for checking out the Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.